Welcome back to Between the Before and After, a podcast about the stories that shape us. I'm your host, Coach John McLernan. Each episode, I bring you an inspiring guest with a moving story that shines a light on the power of the human spirit. I'm excited to share this story with you, so let's dive in. All right, welcome back. Uh, you know what? I realized just before we started this broadcast, I said I had a question and that was escaping me. And actually, mm-hmm. that question was the correct pronunciation of your last I, name. <laughs> I, I knew it just as soon as you said it. Should, should I <laughs> should I let you struggle with it or should I help? <laughs> uh, so so my, my guess would be Tashjen, but... Uh, That's really close. Yes, it's Tashjen. Tashjen. There we go. Okay, so I have the pleasure today of interviewing Donna <laughs> Tashjen, <laughs> uh, located in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which I, we joke that that's, that's almost Canadian. So any, any of the border states, uh, you know, mm-hmm. almost Canadian. So you, you get to experience winters like we do in Canada. And uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, so Donna, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here, John. Yeah. And so um, just before we dive into your story, how you got to what you're doing, let's uh, let's just let, I'll let you introduce yourself and just kind of what you're up to right now. And then we're going to figure out how you got there. Sure. I'm an international life mastery coach and I am the CEO and founder of Vibrant Living International. And our mission and passion is to help people live vibrantly, to put it just as simply as we can. Um, to empower people, spirit, soul, and body to rise above the things that sometimes happen to us. And instead of letting it define us, help it propel us into who we can be. So that's that's what it's about. Very cool. So, um, life coach is an interesting term and sometimes people, um, uh, you know, I do, I do a type of nutrition coaching, but it's really behavioral psychology based and there's a lot of work in around emotions and inner work, um, outside of, uh, just helping people eat more vegetables and less junk food, you know, (laughs) there's always Um, the why. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and I think for for a long time, we, we were sort of just steered towards, we'll just eat less, move more, eat less junk food, you know, uh, eat more healthy food, get more exercise, all that kind of stuff, which, you know, is, is sound advice in one sense, like it logically and practically makes sense, but it kind of really fails to address why we do what we do. Absolutely. And so um, I, I think the world of life coaching is kind of an interesting one. Um, and uh, so you said inter- international life coach, is there, is there like a particular certification or, or, um, what uh, my 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 certification is a life mastery coach Um, I added international because when I started vibrant living it was vibrant Mm. living international with no idea how I was going to be international and now I am so I have clients (laughs) that were in different countries so um that's why I said that yeah yeah that that makes sense so well, now I'm kind of curious how you got to the place where you are a life coach and running this this fantastic business. And so I think this is a great time to kind of rewind the clock and share a little bit about your your backstory. So we can go back as far as you'd like to go, um, you know, back to kind of growing up, because I think you had some difficult experiences um, early, early on in life. And I'd just like to open the floor and let you let you share a little bit of that. Sure. Um, going back uh, pretty early, um, I never had a relationship with my biological father. So for anyone who is in the coaching or counseling industry, know that there is abandonment issues and different as feelings that are associated with that. But as a child, you don't realize, you don't recognize those kind of right, things. Right. Um, but uh, so my, my mom remarried and um, I got a, I had a new blended family that we were supposed to all get along and be a happy family. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, and 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 what what age were you when uh, when you you got to, sort of blended together with another family? I was almost nine, 
So okay. eight, eight and a half, I think it was. So and, yeah. and do you have like any memories at all of your biological father, or is it, is it just was never around? I they they were married, but I don't really have, and I and I have a lot of missing time in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have a lot of memories. I have one memory of him, and it wasn't a pleasant one. Um, but, uh, and I asked my mom as an adult, was he ever around? It's like, did, did I just erase it? And he was there. And she said, no, he really wasn't a part of your life at all. So I don't really recall much of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's quite something. And especially to go through kind of as, as a child and, um, you know, do do you recall like prior to your mom finding a new partner and whatnot, you know? maybe as a kid kind of looking at other, other kids and, and sort of their family life and that kind of thing and feeling like a sense of sort of envy or disappointment or, or sort of wistfulness for maybe what they might have or. Well, no, cause it's preschool age. And Fair so, yeah. yeah, that's, there wasn't a lot of comparison. Um, by the time I went into kindergarten, they were separating and mm-hmm, I knew mm-hmm. it. Um, I do remember the woman that my biological father was with, I, I remember her, but I don't really have too much memory of him. So it was, it's a peculiar time when it seems like, tell me what happened. Cause I don't remember <laughs> kind of. a Yeah. Feeling. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So you can get into it to sort of being a part of a blended family here. And to me, I mean, I have the good fortune of just, my parents are still married 43 mm-hmm. years later. Mm-hmm. I think it might even be 40. Yeah, it's gonna be forty-four this uh, this year at the time of recording this. So forty-four years married, just one brother. You know, uh, they they got along. They they certainly had their hardships and difficulties, mm-hmm. but um, you know, uh, they they got along well. And so mm-hmm. I, I feel very fortunate in that regard. So I, I didn't really don't really have that lived experience of you know sort of getting. I remember we had I had like I think I only had three friends growing up that had their original parents. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize at the time like how fortunate I was, but yes. th- only only three of my friends growing up had their original original parents, yeah. and so I'm kind of curious. Just and a lot of this maybe comes from hindsight, and maybe I'll just kind of look back and to and to reflect. But just you you know what it's like to just get sort of plunked together with another family and be like, okay, yeah. these are your siblings now, and you're supposed to get along. Yeah it it had its rough spots, that's for sure. Um, but we presented ourselves to the community as one big happy family. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it yeah. definitely, um, it definitely had its its bumps of getting along. I came to the new family with a brother, okay. and then my my new dad. Which one of the w- most wonderful things came out of it is I got a dad. Yeah. Um, okay. So I got a dad, and um, that. Um, and I first time. So uh, by the time I'm eight and a half, I now have a, a person who becomes my daddy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but he brought three brothers. So there are four boys and me <laughs> okay. in yeah. the house. And then my mom and dad had another yeah. little girl. She came along when I was 10. I was okay. not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Were you the um, the youngest at this time, or where did you start? I, slot into I was that? not. I I was the oldest prior to the marriage, and okay. then when the blended family happened, I'm in the middle. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was a strange dynamic because my mom still treated me as the oldest, and a mm-hmm. lot of her behavior and stuff. But um, yeah. but I'm not anymore. So my brothers call me bossy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so um, you know. 
so a new one comes along, and and I suppose with five five of you together, sort of competing for parents' attention, and then and another one comes along. It's like, well, this is just and and and, and I mean, I'm I'm the father of a toddler, and so it's like I understand <laughs> sort of how much attention this first couple of years of life really really take. And uh, so you're thinking to yourself, oh man, there's just another one coming along that's going <laughs> to basically take all the attention. Yeah. So I was not particularly a fan of her. Um, I thought she was spoiled and all the things, you know, but, um, but she's an amazing woman today. It was just, it was just in those, those period of time. And so um, there was a lot of, without even realizing it, I have memories of feeling insecure and not mattering and, you know, not being important. And, and it's easy to get lost in those kind of settings of, what's, what's, you know, what's really important. I always wanted to be the good girl. And so the squeaky wheel didn't, I wasn't squeaking much. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so, you know, the um, quiet wheel doesn't get a lot of attention. Yes. And so all of those things, but yeah. moving along, uh, we moved mm. around a lot growing up. And so there was this, uh, uh, not only the, dis- the, the feelings at home, but I was always seeming to feel like the new kid. Yeah, um, okay. And so that caused also a lot of insecurities. And um, I, for whatever reason, I only always seem to be the only redhead in the whole school. Okay. Um, And so, you know, kids, if you're you're different, (laughs) yeah, you know, you get picked on. So attention wasn't good then. Um, And so I remember hiding and kind of hiding in the corner of the playground, hoping somebody would notice, but afraid that somebody would notice. Mm. yeah, isn't that interesting? Concepts of of feelings that were going on, and um, and then at, at the age of fourteen, uh, I had had some other issues with some sexual abuse, but at the age of fourteen, someone that was close to my family hurt me, and I became pregnant. Mm, um, okay. It was a, uh, and so coming up in a religious home in the decade of, you know, of the time frame in society that I was born in, and this all happened, um, was not okay to be pregnant. It didn't matter why. Yeah, um, yeah. So I was hid. Um, there was isolation. This is pre-internet, pre-cell phone, guys. There was no one to talk to. You are all alone. Um, oh, boy, that's tough. I had I had a little girl at the age of 15. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's quite something. How did your how did your parents support you um, when this occurred, or how did they feel about it? Uh, it was. I don't really know exactly how they felt, um, because there was so much embarrassment and shame associated with it. Wasn't talked about, right? Right. It was just as if. I was in, um, you know, a, a miracle. I was just pregnant and there was never any conception. Yeah. There was, yes, there was never any discussion about it whatsoever. Um, and, uh, you know, they helped me get a crib and, you know, all of those kind of things to prepare, uh, for her birth. I did, uh, mm-hmm. finish high school before I was 17 and I was full-time employed be, by the time I was 18 and had my own place, mm, um, working okay. full-time. And then shortly after that, I began to take one college course at night and work full-time and raise my daughter. So at 18, I'm, she's three. 18, she's three. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
so um, I had a lot of uh, not always positive emotions, but anger and proof. I'm going to prove everybody wrong. I'm yeah, going to no make kidding. something of my life. Um, all of those kind of things. And it was about that time that I met my future husband. And so that okay. that was uh, a big difference in my life. We've now been married 38 years. Wow. Um, Congratulations. That's <laughs> remarkable. Yeah. Uh, so we married when she was five and um, had two other children. He adopted mm-hmm. her. Um, it hasn't all been rosy as mm-hmm. anything in life is, but in those, in the, taking all of my insecurities into a marriage um, of really not feeling worthy. Will he really love me? Will it stay? Will it last? Will all the mm-hmm. things was part of our first few years of marriage. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. And was, if I could ask like the, the individual that, that just to you, was there ever any justice or anything like that? Was it ever brought to light? Ever, you know, it was just buried. And, um, and, and did you ever uh, have any contact with this individual in, yes. in the future? Yes. Yeah. Later on when my daughter wanted to know who, um, and so that was a whole big can of worms. No um, kidding. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and you know, you, you have to you kind of go through this in, in high school. And of course, I think being, being a teen mom in high school carry, carries a stigma as well, you know, and uh, you said you kind of, you kind of just felt like buried under, under shame and guilt. So do you, were you able to maintain like some friendships, some, some social relationships in that time? I wasn't in public school. Okay. I, I was in what we would call homeschooling, but it was done differently then. So I didn't have any friends. There was nobody. Okay. That's incredibly difficult. And so, but uh, did, did that sort of, is that, is that where this resolve kind of came from that I'm, I'm going to get out on my own, I'm going to start taking care of myself or, or was it just, there wasn't really an option? Well, there wasn't an option, but I suppose there always is a choice. Um, there always is a choice. I never, I never went on welfare. Mm-hmm. or any mm-hmm. of that. I, I always um, figured out a way. My faith had a lot of do, to do with it. I had yeah. faith at a very young age. And so God had a lot to do, well, a whole bunch to do with where I am today. Um, but learning how to, uh, he was all I had. God was all I had. There was yeah. nobody to yeah. talk to. There was nobody else. There was, I couldn't talk to my parents. They didn't want to care how I felt at that point. Um, and so it was, I can't find the adjectives to describe how hard that period of my life was, but it also created an incredible fortitude, um, Mm. in me that would not have been there without it. And also seeking answers to be able to be the best me, even at that time, I had a belief that I created really early that helps us to move through and rise through the pain that happens in our life is that everything can work for my good. Mm -hmm. I don't know how, I don't know how, but I'm going to begin to look for the gift. What's going to turn out? How is this going to turn out? Well, how is this going to turn out even better for me? Um, And my life proves that to be true. Yeah, which is fascinating. Um, where, where did the? Do you have an idea? I mean, I, I can think of the scriptural reference, but I mean, uh, is, is that <laughs> that's, that's where it came from? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. And and how early in life uh, did, did you did you? 
you know, because it, it's, I think it's interesting when we, we, we develop sort of these um, religious beliefs, how early in life did you feel like this is like not something your parents, you know, made you do, but this is something that is going to be a part of your life. I had an experiential encounter with God at the age of 12. Um, and so it, it changed that for me then I had been raised in a Christian home. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, having it not just be my parents' relationship with God, but mine. And so mm-hmm. that changed at the age of 12 and little did I know what was going to happen in just a few years. Right. That was, that was going to test you. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think about the experiences that we go through. I mean, I've, I've been through trauma as well um, in, in a different way, but um, the experiences that we go through that we feel in and of ourselves, that we don't have the ability to get through it because we're not really equipped for it. Nope. Um, but it's we, we learn something maybe about ourselves and maybe for those who have a faith in God, we learn something about God and that mm-hmm. maybe we're not asked to do this all by ourselves. Yeah. And and you're right. I think there, there is the potential for even the most difficult experiences to be turned into something good. If we, if we open the door to that possibility. And so you then um, you decided uh, you, you got a full-time job. Where, where were you working at that time? I went to work for a doctor's office in um, the medical records. I was called a medical records clerk. And also okay. this is the days of the switchboard. I ran a switchboard. Yeah. <laughs> You know, my mom was a uh, my mom was a phone operator back yeah. in the day. Where, you know, yeah, you, 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 she talks about how she would like you know plug this or plug that, and you connect well, this, it, person, it, this person. It didn't have the plugs, but it had buttons that pushed. Yeah. I could have as many as uh, I think it was fourteen lines ringing at the same time. Okay, and wow. have to keep track of where which one which line was for what and which line was being transferred where and all of that. So <laughs> and keep my voice pleasant. While I'm right. doing it. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and so while, while you were at work, um, was your daughter uh, some kind of childcare or how, how did how did you navigate being a single mom and, and trying to make yeah. an income and trying to make ends meet? Yep. I, uh, not very, not very well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, my rent was $108, I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That. Yeah, I had yeah. a little tiny little studio kind of an apartment. Um, and, uh, I had, I, the way I found a sitter is I called some of the local churches and asked if there's anybody that they would recommend to watch a child. And I interviewed them and that's how I ended up with, um, as, as someone to watch my daughter, uh, because she's three when I'm going to mm-hmm. work at 18. So watching her and, uh, and that's, and so I worked full time, picked her up yep. and then two nights a week I went to college and she yeah. stayed, and so she would stay longer those days. Okay, and and what did you what did you start studying at college? Well, um, I began to just take prerequisites because I could only take one class mm-hmm. and work full time the way it was. So um, I never got past the prerequisites because I met my husband and we moved and ended up getting married. But I was okay. on that course to be able to, I was planning on being a nurse. Oh, how about that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, maybe it was a serendipitous, um, that, that you ended up meeting your husband. How did, how did you meet your, that the man that would become your husband? He came to one of my, the college classes at night. Okay. He was and, in the uh, air force. Okay. And so he was not from the area. He was from upstate New York, 
and the chance of us meeting was pretty much impossible. (laughs) (laughs) So this guy Uh, comes into class. Did you, did you spot him like the first day of class that you had? Yeah, the class was about 40 people and three men. So yes, I noticed noticed him. (laughs) As did maybe a few other people. Uh, um, probably like clean, clean shaven, clean cut, you know, uh, yes, that sort of absolutely. thing. Absolutely. The whole military thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah I'm, I'm ex-military. So I, I, yeah. I, I get that. So um, were, were there any other of your classmates that were vying for his attention at the time? Or that you were, maybe you weren't I aware of I didn't notice because yeah. I wasn't really, I wasn't really looking. Okay. I, yeah. You know, I, I had made the decision that having a relationship with men mm-hmm. wasn't a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um. For a number of reasons, I'm sure you can understand. Uh, yeah, yeah. But um, so I wasn't, I wasn't working anymore. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, when he asked me out, I said maybe. I didn't even. <laughs> I made him work for it. He he still brings yeah. that up today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good, good man. Um, yeah. So so he he noticed something about you. Um, yes. Right and, away. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. What, and what, for what him to he... pick me out of a room full of women and ask me out, yeah, it was. It's something pretty miraculous. No kidding. What, what, what does he say that he noticed about you that made him feel like he had Oh, you don't want me to say that on the air. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Suffice to say there was, there was some degree of physical attraction as well as uh, to, to your personality. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say my hair. <laughs> okay. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's like, okay, that, that, that stood out. And so I have to go and I have to talk to this one. Do you remember like the first, this might be, this might be uh, hard to remember, but do you remember the first thing he said to you or how he, how he approached you? Yeah. He, he invited me to a Christmas party. Okay. But the reason why I had given him a hard time is, is it, it sounded to me as if he was doing me a favor by asking me out. I don't believe that's what he meant, but that's mm. the way I took it. So my okay. response was, well, I guess it's possible. And I just kind of stepped back a little. He goes, well, I would like you to go. And I went, okay, then I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and that's that's like a, a fairly safe, kind of innocuous. And you're going to a social event with other people there and whatnot. And so it's, yeah. you know, you're not not by yourself necessarily trying to make awkward conversation. Um, so going, going to this Christmas party together, did you did you get a sense of, hey, there's something here? Um. Not necessarily right away, uh, but the awkwardness, if you will, for me to go on a date is very quickly. If they don't know, I need to let them know I have a daughter. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the other thing that was uh, usually shocking was how old my daughter was and how old I was mm-hmm. um, as well. So what ended up happening is when we went to the Christmas party and by the time we got there, it was over. So we show up and he had planned the whole Christmas party. It was a military. It was on the base. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And the whole thing got over early. And so we got there and and Santa's gone. All the food is gone, all the stuff. And he goes, well, let's go out to eat. So we went out to a restaurant is what we ended up doing. And so at the restaurant, I don't even know how I told him, but I said, I have, I just want to, you know, I let him know I had a three-year-old daughter and usually I never hear from them. If I yeah. go out on a date, that's, or they think it's an easy mark just to put it nicely. Yeah. yeah. So one enough. of those two yep. things happened. So um, he asked me out again. And so the second date, he got to figure out how young I was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he's a little bit older than you or yeah, just a little, or I guess bit. <laughs> just a bit older than you, you are, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the age gap? Um, it's just three years. 
Okay. But yeah. when you're when you're 19 or when you're 18, mm-hmm. three years is a bigger yeah. deal. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's more than 10 percent of your life, and so it, yeah. it feels it feels fairly significant at that time. Right. And and uh, how long into this? So he asked you out again, and he's he, so he wasn't deterred by this, and he he wasn't necessarily. He sounds like a man of of a very good character. Um, yeah. So he wasn't deterred by this, and and he wasn't. Uh, yeah, he wasn't looking to take advantage of you. And so how how long into the relationship before he got to meet your daughter? Um, I think it was our third or fourth date. He invited, he invited uh, us to go to ice capades, okay, uh, like a Disney cool. on ice thing. And so yeah, he yeah, got yeah. to meet her and he got to meet her there. And, uh, um, and then his birthday is in January. So we had had the Christmas party and her birthday is in January. So they both got to see each other there. And then Aww. we began to date from there. He had told me when we start to date, I'm going home in six months. Let's just have fun while we're here. (laughs) So, um, but it, you know, his actions were not lining up with that statement. (laughs) (laughs) Right. He was like, it was, so it was clear that he wanted this to be, this to be serious. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is kind of interesting because I think, you know, what you've alluded to is, is like, you had a fairly difficult sort of social or maybe there wasn't a lot of social development that took place like kind of through your teen years. And so was, if I could ask, was it, was there a degree of naivety uh, in one sense? I know in one sense, your innocence had been taken away, but was there a degree of sort of naivety or or sort of social awkwardness going into this relationship or how did you, how did you find? I don't remember feeling socially awkward. I was definitely on guard. Yeah. Um, yeah, Okay. It would be a good way to, uh, to word it and uh, or withdrawn slightly with reserved. He mm. comments that he had a pickup truck and he okay. commented that when we were, were, I don't know if it's our first date or a second date or whatever, but I sat as far against the other door as possible. <laughs> yeah. According to him, I don't recall that behavior, but he says that. So there was this, um, you, I don't know if you're safe. You just stay right there. Right, kind right, of, right. Kind of uh, sort of a, a guardedness. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, what, what eventually uh, kind of helped to break? I mean, I guess sp- just spending time together, but uh, yeah. You know, yeah, you, I, re- you I remember after we'd been dating for a while, I was pretty sure how I felt about him. You know, things had been increasing for a little while. And uh, my mom asked me, she goes, Well, how do you, how are you feeling about this relationship? And I said, Well, and I kind of looked at her funny because I thought of something and I'm like, on the way home from the movie the other night, I fell asleep on his shoulder. <laughs> wow, and I'm yeah. like, and then it kind of like dawned on me. I'm like, I've never fallen asleep around any guy <laughs> ever. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so um, he just, he, he just proved himself. He was a, a real man. We'll put it that mm, way. Not absolutely. You know, if you know, understand what I mean by the integrity 100%. that goes into that. Absolutely. There, there, there is what we call authentic uh, masculinity. And I think he, he embodied that there's, yeah, I've, I have the pleasure of interviewing someone who, who speaks about authentic masculinity from a, a really um, remarkable perspective. And so, and, and your daughter at the age of three, you know, how, did she sort of start to develop a bond with, with him as well? She had a lot of guardedness similar to me. Um, fair, fair enough. Yeah. You know, so, but yes, it did occur. Um, yeah. So, uh, he was there, uh, well, it was actually, she was two and three quarters when he met her, mm-hmm. according to her, she talked like that. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so he was there for her third birthday on. Um, yeah, okay. And so, you know, uh, and she has a daddy. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's the way that was there some bumps in the road when she tried to figure out in the teenage years, who am I Because yeah. you know, all of the things, but yes, um, yeah. it definitely, it's definitely there. Yeah. Okay. And what, what a remarkable backdrop for, for sort of getting to where you are today. And so, um, what, uh, how long were you guys together? Um, when he proposed to you or decided that, Hey, I want to, I want to marry you. Cause you mentioned that, mm-hmm. you, you know, he was going back home wherever that was. Mm-hmm. And did you ultimately decide that, I'm going to follow you. Um, he he asked me to, um, we, we were actually living in Washington state at the time. And, um, he, uh, he extent his, he was supposed to get out of the air force in six months and he extended six months. So we were together a year in Washington. And at that point he had asked me to marry him. Um, there was a delay in when that occurred, but we were headed in that direction. And so mm-hmm. a little while later, I followed him to his home state, which was New York. Okay. Oh, very nice. And and so did you, did you grow up in, in, on the West coast in Washington state there? I did not. Um, as I remember, I said, I, we moved a lot. Right. Um, oh yeah. So I moved to New York when my daughter was one. Um, she mm. was born in Texas. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, I've lived in a lot of places. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So, so you, you meet this wonderful man, he becomes your husband. And um, the, of course, there's inevitable bumps in the road. But, uh, you know, where, where along this, um, did, did you ha- feel like there was maybe a calling to becoming a, a coach and helping people? Because you, you've been through some really, really difficult experiences in life. And I think what I often identify when I when I speak with coaches, and I think it's really fascinating is, uh, you know, like I'm a, every one of us has a story as to why we do this. Like we guide people through experiences in to some sense or to some degree that we've been through ourselves. And Mm -hmm. and there's kind of a mentorship element to it. At what point in time did you decide, you know, I feel like there might be more to more to this uh, than maybe what what I'm presently doing. Well, I began without even trying to, and it wasn't a paid position, but I began mentoring would have been what it was called when I started Mm -hmm. because 25 years ago, the kind of coaches that you and I are weren't really around that I recall. Yeah. Anyway. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but it was in a lot of different organizations. I founded some nonprofit organizations where I did that, that kind of work. So it was a lot of um, unpaid kind of, mm. and it, and I'd find myself everywhere I went, either employment, volunteer work. I, people would say, I've never talked to anybody like I'm talking to you. I've never mm. told anybody this. And so I found myself, and I had a calendar where I met with people regularly on appointments um, while I'm raising my children and all of that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it was going on all those times I started speaking in front of, in front of audiences in my 20s, um, encouraging people to make a difference and help and different nonprofits. Mm. So I have been doing that for a long period of time. I just wouldn't have called it coaching. It was just right, what yeah. I did. I didn't put a label on it. I, I love um, that. It's very, it's very organic and kind of very natural. You kind of, you kind of fell into it in a sense. It's yeah. just who I am. Yeah. It is you, who I am. So uh, I, I can resonate very, very clearly with that. It's, it's something that I inevitably did everywhere I went. I had many different, I've had, I've had about 11 different um, careers prior mm-hmm. to, <laughs> prior to, I, I say I, I couldn't, I, I eventually couldn't like run from this. 
<laughs> so, you know, um, but uh, so you mentioned you, you have you've got multiple uh, children as well. And so um, how many kids were you trying to raise while, while doing this? <laughs> I have two others. OK, um, yeah. So we have we have three children and um, they're all married and we have seven grandchildren. Wow, that's that's remarkable. And, and 38 years together. And, and you're, um, your husband, it, he uh, was he supportive of you? I mean, I, I probably already know the answer, but uh, yeah. you're sort you're sort of a foray into this. Yeah, he yeah. was. Um, he supported me all along the way. And it's been about 10 years ago that actually Vibrant Living was born. Yeah, um, yeah. And so <clears throat> that's when I, I'm like, I want to do this. And I described it and they go, well, that's a coach. And I'm like, coach, all I could think of was football coach. And I'm like, right, I'm right, right. Minute people on the sidelines telling them to do this. I'm like, that's not me. <laughs> and so yeah, I had no frame of reference yeah, <laughs> of the label yeah. of coach. You know, it's, I often, often joke with my clients. I say like, uh, I'm a tour guy, but I'm not a Sherpa. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's a phrase, phrase I often use. It's really like, you know, I, I say I help people um, perhaps co-write a couple of chapters in their life story and hopefully uh, create a more positive ending to the, to the story that they're, that they're, they're writing, you know. And I did want to ask one other question just from your past there. You know, you mentioned that, like your, your oldest daughter, um, that it, th- through the teen years, she was kind of curious about who her, who her biological father mm-hmm. was and, and whatnot. And I, I think I'm asking this because it's, it's how do you navigate that? You know, how, how did it come up and, and, and how do you, you know, how do you navigate that? Because I imagine, you know, for, for, for those who've been in similar circumstances to yourself, that this, this eventually comes up, you know, there's something within us that we want to, you know, yeah. I, I guess, get to know our biological connections. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have an answer for that. <laughs> it, it, it's not an easy thing to navigate at all. Um, and I didn't prevent it. But I was very fearful because I knew she would be hurt. Mm. Um, so if she was to find all. out the actual circumstances, and the circumstances, it, yeah. and the man that he was, because I did know, I did know about that, and I was very concerned that she would be hurt, and she was. Um, mm-hmm. But I couldn't prevent it. She wanted to have answer answers, and. There was a rebellious period where she was angry at everybody and everything, but that had nothing, you know, and so there was, it was difficult to transverse. But one, I, one thing I will say for anyone who may be going through it is love never fails. Mm -hmm. It may take some time to work through it, but truth and love will prevail. And that's all I held on to during that Rocky period. Um, there she did a lot of rejection of both my husband and I, um, in acting out and anger and all of those kinds of things. Um, but love never fails. And when you keep that as your focal, you keep that as your center in your prayers and in your beliefs, things will turn around and it has. And, you know, I love that. And I think, I think this also points to something else is um, when, when you say something, uh, a phrase like love never fails, perhaps maybe um, some people have this idea that it means that everything is easy and, nope. and you're sort of guided by this euphoric sense of, you know, what I would call <laughs> like romantic love. And it's like, you know, uh, um, I, I, often, I have this other analogy. I call it the tunnel of sewage. <laughs> you probably already guess where this is going. But I, but I just, I, I say to people, I say, look, if we're going to go on this transformation journey, I kind of want to tell you what it's really going to be like. Yeah. going through this. And if you're not scared, 
at the end of this, <laughs> then maybe we're a good fit to work together. So I often imagine that people, you know, it's like, I'm going to work with this coach. I mean, they're going to help me navigate this, this transformation because it's maybe something I've been through before. And then, you know, maybe we, we, we hop on our, rain, uh, our unicorns and ride the rainbow bridge up to the clouds and kind of go from cloud to cloud. Mm-hmm. And we're just rising, uh, riding above mm-hmm. real life without any sort of resistance or obstacles or things like that. And in reality, I'm like, I'm just cutting this short, but we're basically kayaking through a tunnel of sewage together. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the polite way of saying this, this is what we're, this is what we're going through, but you're not going through this alone. And I've done this before and I'm comfortable in this environment, even though it's, it's often difficult and uncomfortable and that makes it safe to go through this together and so and and i guess i I wanted to ask also you know did you ever in your adult life or did you ever find a have a desire to to know about your biological father yourself or did you ever forge any kind of relationship or is that written off um i well he's passed away at this point Mm -hmm. in our life um i did i did know about him i had a relationship with my grandmother um (laughs) his mother and so i did know about him but what I knew about him as an adult, um, I wasn't impressed and didn't. Mm-hmm. Re- and so <clears throat> I was trying to think. I was probably in my early 40s when uh, he reached out to me and and we, we were doing Facebook Messenger kind of a mm-hmm. chatting and things like that. But there was never any draw. It wasn't he right, wasn't right. a man I needed to know. I didn't need it in my life. Um, mm-hmm. he may have needed me, but maybe um, at this point in time in his life, I don't know, maybe yeah, he was trying. It might, it might have, mm-hmm. but, um, he, he wanted to, he, he didn't navigate it by saying, let's get to know each other. He started calling, calling me his little girl and stuff. Well, I wasn't, Yeah, you know, yeah. and he, and so the way that it was handled just turned me off and I'm like, fair enough. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> It, it just wasn't handled. And so no, a relationship didn't develop there. And, and to me, of course, the, the, the psycho, I don't want to say psychologist because I'm not a professional one, but I'm, I'm well studied in psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to myself, he's remembering you from the time that he was really last present in your life. Yeah. And he's missed Absolutely. almost four decades of development. And so in his mind, that's where you are still yeah. because he hasn't witnessed any of this taking place. You know, and, and on the same token, you had a wonderful stepdad who who became your dad and, and you, you saw him as such, you know, yep. and, and I think even for your daughter, you know, your oldest daughter, that she had the privilege of of the, the man that is your husband, like, again, having this in her life. <clears throat> and so your daughter went through this really difficult phase, as you mentioned, but she's um, undoubtedly grown into a remarkable woman as well, Absolutely. I gather. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. and I think that that's kind of, this highlights sort of the, the tagline of the program here, which is the stories that shape us. And it's, mm-hmm. it's these, these life experiences that we go through that are often really, really difficult. And they bring up a lot of the hard emotions and maybe we feel like we don't know how we're going to get through it. And yeah, we fight against it and so on, but it ultimately forges this wonderful character. And so you, in, in all of this, just uncovered that really, you are a coach, mm-hmm. um, you're a guide, you're a mentor. It's just who you are by nature. You know, I think coaches often have this empathic quality, this ability to sort of read other people and sense other people and, and whatnot. And so, you know, you, you, you're, you found I, I am vibrant living international and you talk about living vibrantly. And I, I'm curious, what, what does that mean to you to live vibrantly? To me, it means living free and mm. it as if we, you know, I, I described what I've been through and, and there are so many weights. There's so many labels. 
There's so many insecurities and, and um, I call it identity theft. Um, that. That happens. And my passion is to stop identity theft because it isn't my wallet that I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. It's talking about who I am because I was, you know, told or felt like I would never amount to anything. I was told that I couldn't speak well. I was told that I da, 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 da. You know, you can fill in the blank. These these labels were applied to you. Absolutely. And, and so, but here I am, you know, proving all of that wrong because this is who I really am and discovering that all along the way. And so living vibrantly is a journey. Yeah, Living vibrantly yeah. is a discovery. I remember one person who was a mentor of mine and she was praying for me. And she said, Donna, you're in for some big revelations. It was when I was starting Vibra Living. Yeah, You've yeah. Got, you are a gift to everyone around you. But the one who's going to be most surprised about the gift is you. Mm, mm. And that is what vibrant living is. It's discovering the gift that we are. Mm. It's embracing Mm. all of the little things about us and all of the wonderfulness about us and learning who, in my words, God created us to be Yeah. so that we can really live free without all of the wondering what people think without wondering about if we're good enough, if we're going to fail, all of the stuff that human nature does and just have a ball and Mm. live free. That's vibrant living. I I love that. And and I love this concept of identity theft. And, you know, I've wrestled with all the things that you've described as well. You know, even even getting the field that I get into, um, you know, and and all the feelings of worthlessness and and struggle and whatnot, and these things that are robbing us from who we truly are. And and I agree. I I, I often say that we we live in a cage of our own construction. Um, and and really, kind of what I'm referring to though is is when somebody like applies a label to us and we accept it to be true, it sort of forms one of the bars in this cage of our own construction that we live in. And it takes maybe sometimes somebody else who's not encumbered by these beliefs to see who we truly are and mm-hmm. say, well, let me pick the lock to your cage door and open the door and and like guide you out of this into this pair of shoes that's waiting for you to step into and to fill. And I really, you know, I, I love the idea that each one of us like has something, has a gift, something to share with the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I often think about humility the way that I used to think about humility was, uh, I guess, just thinking less of myself, but I, I really, I, I love the mm-hmm. definition that it's not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking about ourselves less. So recognizing that it's not really about us. And and when we don't necessarily make it about us um, yeah. and when, when we actually serve and show up to help other people, our life is much more purposeful and much more fulfilling. Yep. Yeah. And so. Absolutely. I, I think sometimes there's other people with us and have, have hammers and nails helping us build that case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is very true. And, and what, you know, you've been through it so much, but I think, uh, again, you wouldn't be the, you know, amazing woman that you are today had you not gone through. Uh, and, and, you know, I think people often ask me as well, cause I get interviewed about my story as well. And they say like, you know, would you take this out of your past? And I say, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take any of those experiences of my past because it would not be where I am today had I not gone through what I went through and, and those experiences mm-hmm. that, that shaped me to, to be the person that I am today. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, uh, I always like to ask my guests this, and that is, 
if they've been listening to this conversation, if they've been hearing your story and all the different things you've gone through, and I think, boy, we've only we've really only scratched the surface because there's there's so much to potentially tap into here. But uh, what what is the message that you would you would like people to take away from this conversation today? Um, two things. First, if if you feel like you're not living vibrantly find me on social media. I'd love to talk to you, support you, help you find the resources, whatever that is for you. Um, Because that's my heart. And the second and final thing is remember that what I said in the beginning, that nothing is wasted. Everything can be used for your good. Even the the worst, absolute worst day of our life um, can be Nothing is wasted. You didn't make mistakes that are too big. You haven't turned, you know, haven't wait. You're not too old. You're not too young. Whatever you're saying, it doesn't matter. Nothing is wasted. And it is still has the potential for you to have a vibrant life. I love that. And, you know, we're going to make sure that we include this in the show notes as well. But you mentioned people reaching out to you. Um, What's the best place to connect with you? The easiest way to find out all the resources that I have is my website. And that's the letter I vibrantliving.com. There's a tab there that you can schedule a chat with me and it's absolutely free. And there's a lot of other resources too. <laughs> I love that. And I guarantee you, anybody who who uh, has a conversation with you is going to come away with, a, with an entirely different perspective. Um, absolutely. And I, I know that because I've had the pleasure of chatting with you today, Donna. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your heart, sharing your story, sharing the difficult things you've overcome. Um, it's a very, very inspiring story. And for anybody listening, I, I think you know, you'd be very fortunate to, ha- to enjoy a conversation with this wonderful woman. So thank you again, Donna, for being on the program today. My pleasure, John. Thank you so much for tuning into Between the Before and After. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review because that helps this podcast to reach and inspire more people. I love exploring the stories that take place between the before and after, the powerful experiences that shape who we become, and I love human potential. I love the possibilities that lie within us. So whatever you may be up against, I hope these stories inspire you because if you're still here, your story's not done yet, so keep moving forward.